Take your Bibles and go with me to John chapter 8. We're going to continue this morning talking about the case that has unfolded in the temple, the case that has unfolded in the church. John chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him. And he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. I'm going to ask you to stretch your hand this direction and pray God's blessing upon his word and his servant. And at the same time, would you pray that God would open your ears to hear and your heart to receive his word today. Father, we bless you today. We have already been graced so powerfully by your presence in worship and adoration. As we lifted up the fragrance, the perfume into the very portals of glory. But now we come to the breaking of the bread of life, a significant part of our worship time together. I covet your anointing, the prayers of these, your people over me right now, Lord, to be able to share this message. And Lord, I ask you to open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive the word of God. May it be life altering and life changing. Lord, may we not leave here the same as when we came. We ask all these things and we praise you for all these blessings in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. The case that is in the temple. Today I would like to talk to you about the religious and their ridicule. Last Sunday we began this series of messages talking about the sinner and their guilt. We spent quite a bit of time on the condition of the, the woman in this narrative. She's been caught in adultery. She's been caught in the very act of adultery. And she's been brought and thrust at the feet of Jesus in the temple, in the church. 
But today I want to talk about the religious and their, and their ridicule. You know, when you, when you say, I am religious, or that person has religion, you are attempting to say that they are spiritual people, that they are Christian people. I remember there was a brief period in my teenage years when I was facing a lot of peer pressures and people would ask the question, yeah, I'd say, yeah, I'm a little religious. I'm a little religious. Have you ever heard people say that? You might have coworkers that, that say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a religious person. I asked the question today, why not just say, I am a Christian? They were called Christians first in Antioch, in the New Testament church. So let me just set the record straight today. I'm not in a religion, I'm in a relationship. Let me just say today, I am not religious, I am a Christian. Granted, with all the doctrinal teachings and practical commitments and the creeds and the stands that we represent and, and how important all of them are, may we never allow religion, denomination, organization to supersede who we are and what we have in our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This thing called Christianity goes well beyond religion. It, it is a personal thing uh, for you and I. And see, if you're not careful, religion can deceive you. Religion can destroy you. You can say, I'm a religious person, and yet your vitality can be sucked out of your life by uh, rules and, and regulations and, and religious kind of things. Your, your spirituality is affected when you have more religion than you do relationship. Hey, the truth of the matter is, your eternity uh, you could lose with God being more religious than you are in a relationship with the Lord. I'm telling you, as much as I love the church of God, I, my relation, my, my walk with God is not about the church of God as a denomination. I am in a personal, a personal, very personal relationship with Jesus Christ, my King, my Savior, and my Lord. Can someone say amen? amen. Now, today we're looking at religion's scheme because this is a scheme that's taking place. This wasn't coincidental. I don't believe for one moment this was coincidental. I believe that these scribes and these Pharisees these religious people were looking for an opportunity to destroy Jesus. I don't believe they just happened to be passing by a home. I don't believe they just happened to be peeking in a window or hearing a particular noise. I believe they planned the whole thing. You can disagree with me, but I believe they planned the whole thing. And I believe they planned to humiliate this woman, but to also destroy Jesus in the process. In fact, I'll step out on a limb here today and say to you that I wouldn't be surprised at all if one of those religious leaders compromised his virtue, slept with the woman, and therefore subsequently there was no exposure of the other person as the lover. You see, you don't read anything about the other man, the man that was involved in this adulterous relationship. And so it, they, they, the, the point is this, religion, these religious leaders could care less about this woman's life. They would ultimately expose her nakedness in the temple and they would do it in the name of religion. They would humiliate her in the name of religion. They were even willing to kill her in the name of religion. And the big prize is they get to trap Jesus once and for all. 
law. The law is very clear in the Old Testament, not in one, but in two different places. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10. Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 22. And it tells us that based upon the Old Testament law, this woman must be stoned. And so they've now got Jesus set up for the perfect trap. If Jesus lets her go without condemning her sin, he would be seen as easy on sin. He could be seen as compromising. He could be arrested for violating the law that religion promoted since he was in the temple teaching. If on the other hand, he endorsed the stoning of this woman, he would destroy his reputation as being a friend of publicans and sinners. So the scheme was in place. The trap was set. It is a tragedy. Let me tell you, it is a tragedy that they would use this woman to achieve their own selfish ends with no regard for the condition of her soul. It is obvious that she needed help, but they didn't care. It is obvious that, that you see through this that religious leaders, religious legalists, it's hard for them to change. In fact, it has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you're religious and you're a legalist, I can't change you. But I do know one who can. The same one that saved my soul, the same one that healed my body, can change anyone from their opinions and observations and their tactics against someone that doesn't rise to their particular standard. I'm going somewhere, so you better hold on for the ride. They cared about pressing their agenda. They cared about attacking their enemy. They only wanted to attempt their own brand of righteousness. That was religion's scheme. You've read the story. You've seen it right in front of you. I can't imagine. I try to envision in my mind what kind of humiliation that woman felt that particular day in the house of God among God's people. But I want to tell you the story doesn't stop there because religion had a shocking setback. Oh, religion had a scheme. But then the Lord had other plans and it turned into a setback for religion. The trap is set. How's Jesus going to respond? And as I look at it, I'm, I'm just amazed by his response. They're ranting about the woman and the law and her adultery and the penalties. And the Bible says he knelt down and started writing in the dirt. Now, this is another mystery for me. This is something we really don't know until we get to heaven. Number one, the first mystery is we don't know who the scoundrel was that she was in the bed of adultery with. Number two, this is a mystery. The mystery is what did Jesus write in the dirt? Now let us speculate for a few moments this morning as the Lord gets down maybe on one knee and he just takes his index finger, I imagine, and he begins to write in the dirt. I thought this week, well, maybe, maybe as he wrote in the dirt, maybe one thing that he began to do was maybe he was reliving the moment, the moment that he first touched dirt. And when he touched dirt, he formed man. And when he formed man, he breathed into him the breath of life. And maybe he's thinking, boy, how far man has fallen from that moment to this. Maybe that's what he's thinking about while he's writing in the dirt. Brother Jerry, I thought, well, maybe he was rewriting the Ten Commandments. 
You may not know this if you're not a student of the Old Testament, but when the original Ten Commandments came out, they were written by the index finger of Almighty God. Oh, somebody praise the Lord for that. I'm telling you, it's just not a happenstance. American Civil Liberty Union can throw it out the window and the judges can remove it from their courtrooms and, and Congress and all the legal leaders can do what they want to get the Ten Commandments thrown out. But can I tell you forever, oh Lord, is your word settled in heaven. And that also includes the Ten Commandments. So maybe he got down and he started writing the Ten Commandments as he did in stone on Mount Sinai. Maybe he did it in dirt that particular day. Maybe he wrote their names. Maybe he knew all those religious scribes and Pharisees by name. And so he was in the dirt and he was just writing their name. This is this is Tom and Bob and Fred and, and Jack and uh, that wasn't their names I'm sure but hey we'll go with that. So uh, they, they, you know let, let me just kind of write their names in the dirt here. You know as I thought about that I came across a passage of scripture that, that, that wouldn't make this too far from the truth or too far fetched. In Jeremiah 17 and 13 listen to this. It says all that forsake God shall be ashamed and they that depart from God shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord. So it's not so far-fetched that he might have been writing their names. Or maybe he went further. Maybe he just wrote down the names of their girlfriends. Maybe he wrote down the names of their lovers. You know, I have come to discover that sometimes the most critical people of someone else have something glaring on the inside that they're trying to cover up. And like I said last week, we can be famous for deflecting off onto someone else. So maybe they all had girlfriends and maybe he was just writing their names down. You know, I thought of all kinds of reasons. And then I just came to this simple conclusion. Maybe he just doodled. Maybe he just doodled. We could say the day Jesus doodled. And you thought doodle, doodling was just a waste of time. I'm telling you, doodling is scriptural according to this. You know, you get that piece of paper and the, and the professor is boring and the teacher's about to put you to sleep and you got your pen and you're coloring in all the zeros. By the time you're done, you've got your own artistic work on a whole sheet of paper. You don't know half a clue of what they were talking about, but you've been doing some doodling. <laughs> so after he gets done, I don't know what he wrote in the sand. But after he gets done, he, he, he says these words simply. He who is without sin cast the first stone. And the Bible says in verse 9, and when they heard it, Oh, God, help us to hear your word today. I'm going to say it again. Oh, God, help us to hear your word today. Oh, Lord, help us to hear your word. Let it get inside of us. Let it change our opinions of other people. Let it change our opinions of the people sitting with us in church. Let it change our opinions of people that we run into in the grocery store. Let us get a God-sized heart for people that we encounter, our worst enemies. Oh, Lord, let us be reminded that when we hear your word and, and we have the God-sized heart and impressions of others, suddenly we'll become convicted by our own conscience. We'll become convicted by the Holy Spirit. And the scripture says they went out by one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last of them, even unto the least. From the oldest to the youngest, they all left one by one. Let me just make a few observations to the church of 
of God at Pulaski this morning. Let me just say something to you that you probably all need to hear, including myself. Number one is this. Those of us that have been serving the Lord the longest, it is easy to be moved farthest from grace. I heard like two amens. Somebody whistled. Somebody else groaned. Can you translate that a little simpler? Sometimes the longer we have been serving the Lord, the more critical we can become of other people. Let me tell you what that is. That's removing yourself farther and farther from the grace that God intends for you to live with. <laughs> so drop your stones. Those of us that are new believers... And we're on fire for the Lord. Sometimes our zeal can skew our vision of others if we're not careful. Drop your stones. Those that have been in the church a long time, been faithful servants of the Lord. Somebody comes in that they, they dress different than you. They smell different than you. They talk different. It's them new Christians. It's a, it's a, it's a crazy bunch. I don't know where they came from. They got them from down there close to the methadone clinic. Got them from downtown in Pulaski or from the other side of the tracks or wherever the case may be. Oh, we have this impression. Oh, I don't know if they're going to fit in around here. God did not call you to prescribe who fits in in the body of Christ. And then on the other hand, you got people that are on fire for the Lord and they're, and they're new believers and they come in and they're like, wow, there's still a few folks around here that they're still wearing suits or, or you know, they don't, they don't have a coffee bar for us. And, you know, we're, we're, we're new believers. We're on fire. They're, them, some of them old-fashioned, outdated, and need to loosen up and come into the 21st century. Let me tell you something. I thank God for every person in the house. If you came in jeans, if you come in shorts, if if you come in the house of God and you got a full-blown three-piece suit on, you are welcome here in the house of God. God help us to bridge the gap. God help to bring unity and healing in the body of Christ so that those that have been serving the Lord find a renewed dose of grace. And those that are new believers in the Lord live in the grace that's been granted to them. Oh God, bring unity to your body. God help us to drop every stone that we have against anyone. Oldest to youngest, drop your stones. Longest in the church to newborn babes in the body, drop your stones. Religious people in the house, drop your stones. You see, in the first part of John chapter 8, Religious people are trying to stone the woman. We see that. We read that. But in the last part of John chapter 8, religious people are trying to stone Jesus. You that may be present... And would never dream of throwing a rock at Jesus. You better be good and careful before you're throwing rocks at his image. I just imagine that the same Jesus who said, when you give a cold cup of water, 
in my name to the least of these, you give it unto me. Would have some issues with anyone that even in the name of religion would cast stones at one of his. For if you cast stones at one of his, are you not really casting stones at him? You see, instead of passing judgment on her, he passed judgment on the judges. That's exactly what he did. I'm going to step out on a limb here. I got a feeling it's all, that limb is already kind of leaning heavily down anyway. But more people in the church have been destroyed, not by bad teaching, or false doctrine, or average music, or lack of outreach. But more people in the church have been destroyed by judging looks, and condescending glances, and piercing words, and arrogant body language. I'm going to preach. Come back next week, we'll talk about something different. More unbelievers stay away from church because the bar has been set too high. The past is scrutinized too closely. The looks are penetrating too deeply. The gossip is passed around too freely. It's time to drop the stones once and for all. But for the grace of God, I would be out there and not in here. But for the grace of God, my name would be nowhere found in heaven. But today it's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But time and time and time again, and you could, if I pass this mic around, you could share your story. But for the grace of God. I was a teenager. Back in the day, it was youth rallies. Big youth rallies. Friday night. Some of y'all remember them. You go from one church and you go over to another church and they've got a dynamic speaker and the youth band and all this great things going on. It was a rainy Friday night. I hadn't been too long driving. I drove over to a youth rally. Service went great. I was fine. I hadn't been too long having my, having my license. I had a 1978 candy apple red Mustang. been raining where I parked. Service was over where I parked. I went out, got in the car, started to pull away. It was one of those deals where I was parked on the side of the road and I was just, I started to pull away and the tire started spinning. I couldn't get it to move. I couldn't get it to budge. Brother James, I went back inside. Now service has just concluded. We just had a move of God. And I went inside and first couple of guys that I came to, you know, you know the drill. You can't push your car and sit in the driver's seat at the same time. First couple of guys I came to, I said, hey, fellas, you guys give me a hand. My car is stuck out there. And the arrogance and the condescension toward me was second to none. Oh, no, man, can't get my clothes dirty, sorry. One after another. I turned around. I was probably 17, I guess. 
I turned around. I went back out. I got in my 1978 candy apple red Mustang. I floored that joker. There ain't no telling how high the mud pile was that I left behind. But I'm going to be honest with you. And I was angry. But more than that, I was wounded. And did you know that for the next several months, I held a grudge against the whole church and the pastor because of the response of two teenage boys. But for the grace of God, another youth rally rolled around before too long, and wouldn't you know we're in the same place? And as I'm there, the Lord is dealing with my heart. No, I don't want to do this. I'm 17, I've got my image, and I drove up in my same candy apple red Mustang. I do not want to seek any reconciliation here, but I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost would not let me alone. And did you know before that service was over, I had to stand up in front of that church and that pastor and ask their forgiveness for holding bitterness against them because of the mistreatment of two young people. Now, if I pass this microphone around, there would be story after story after story of things that have happened to your life. And it wasn't because of doctrine. And it wasn't because of bad teaching. It wasn't because of average music. But a lot of people sitting home today are home because someone judged them in the house of God. This is not cliche. These are the words of Jesus. This is the red letter stuff. Judge not lest ye be judged. That's not just a phrase. He goes on to say, For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet or hand it out, it shall be measured it to you again. I'm telling you, if you dish out judgment, it will return. It's not spiritual, but it's still true. What goes around eventually comes around. A few years ago, in Richmond, somebody came up to me. And it was a defining moment for me. And they said these words. They said, looked at me, a very godly person, and they said these words to me. Even the pastor needs grace extended to them. Let me just tell you, your pastor needs grace from you. Galatians 6 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye who are spiritual, he didn't say religious, he said spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest thou also be tempted. It's been several years now, but I went through a very dark period in my life. While I was in the midst of my struggle, a very influential leader came to me. And this is what he said Donald, when you come out of this, you'll be more of a grace pastor than you have ever been before.
You know, I always kind of thought I was a nice guy. I always thought I had a lot of grace. I, I tried to, there was only a couple of people at Walmart that they'd go down one aisle and I'd go up the other one. There's only a couple of them. I really considered myself. Y'all laughing because y'all need to drop your stones. You're just as guilty as I am. But I learned a lot about myself. And you know, when I came out of that period, I learned more about what grace was. And you know, the, the, the scripture says, freely you have received, freely give. I believe that that's not just about money or time. I believe if you have been given grace, you should be just as willing to freely give grace. That's why. It's not, again, it's not just some cliche catchphrase, you know, we're going to love like God and serve like Jesus and impact with the Holy Spirit. It's not just something to put out on the, on the marquee. I'm telling you, if we love like God and we serve like Jesus, we will impact with the Holy Spirit. And there will be a day, we're not there yet, but there will be a day in the quarters of heaven that the evaluation will be of the church of God at Pulaski, that grace has leavened its way through the whole body. No longer has any people been stoned, but religion has been stoned. And whosoever will can find peace and mercy among the people. They say if you want to kill a racehorse, get it all amped up and don't open the gate. Literally, it's been proven that they can die of a heart attack because they are so amped up for you to open the gate so they can race. I'm telling you, I met with four couples the other night, and they are amped up. You know what they're amped up about? They're amped up about going to two different places of housing and bringing people to church that want to come to church. They can't wait. I said, well, we ought to plan this thing out. No, let's start next week. I've got the first family, first family of five. They've been waiting to come, but they told me they need a ride. My vehicle ain't big enough. We got a church van. I'm telling you, I'm ready to go get them next week. Who am I to stand in the way of that? It's like eight racehorses that are going to run over their preacher if I try to slow them down. Four couples committed will come early. While you're enjoying your lunch, they'll be taking people home, making sure that families that don't have a way have a way to come to the house of the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. They're going to sit in your seat. They're going to sit where you're sitting today. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to go ahead and put this out here so you understand this disclaimer. If you dare tell someone to get out of your seat that we've reached from this community. I'm going to call you a scribe, a Pharisee. I'm going to rebuke you and tell you in the name of Jesus to drop your stones. We're not going to bust our hide to get them in the house of the Lord for somebody to give them a second glance because they don't look like us, smell like us, dress like us. I'm telling you, if they come to the house of the Lord, we are going to minister grace and mercy.
mercy unto them. Oh, I wish somebody would give the Lord a shout of praise. This is all about fulfilling the Great Commission in Pulaski County. Well, I've been sitting here 43 years. No, you haven't. You've been sitting there two years. So let's keep things in perspective. If you throw a stone at them, you just as well throw a stone at Jesus. I've judged people in church. I've judged people outside of church. I've judged people. I've judged some of you. Oh, yeah. We all a little quirky, ain't we? I have judged people that have fallen, and I have judged people that are innocent. Mm. And to be frank, in my effort to bear the holiness standard, I have compromised many times greatly the grace standard. It is a tightrope to walk, and yet God gives us the ability to do it. Mm. To not judge is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Man, it's tough, isn't it? I mean, you read the news. You listen to politics. It's hard not to judge. Sometimes we just don't know all the facts. Someone wrote it into a newspaper. They were criticizing two people at the checkout line at the grocery store. Both were using their food stamps. One was buying a very large $17 sheet cake. The critics were brutal. Another was buying a large bag of shrimp. The critics were brutal. There was some further investigation and some inquiry done. And then the truth surfaced. The one that bought the large bag of shrimp and bought it for an anniversary dinner with her husband who had just lost his job at a plant he had worked at for 15 years and the shrimp casserole they ate off of for three days. The other bought the large sheet cake for their eight-year-old daughter who was losing a fight to bone cancer and only had six months left to live. Kind of changes the story, doesn't it? We just don't know all the facts. It's hard not to judge. It is hard. It really is. Man, as I was preparing, I'm thinking, 
my Lord, how many times in a week am I guilty of judging someone without knowing all of their story? It's hard not to judge. And yet, it's extremely painful to be judged. It's one thing you got the scenario and then you have the lies that are piled on top of it. And the story, the further it goes, gets more and more embellished. And we just keep on hurling the stones, beating them down. Bless God, they're going to get it together. Even if I had to beat it out of them. Again, the same people that wanted to stone the woman at the beginning wanted to stone Jesus at the end. Same chapter. Man, that really drives it home, doesn't it? I ask you to bow your heads. painful to be judged it's painful to be ridiculed and rebuked and critiqued every head bowed and every eye closed truth of the matter is I'm sure there are folks in the house that your wounds are not physical, but they're emotional. Hopefully no one here, but it could be someone here. They've judged you. You find that you're plagued by it. It needles your mind. And maybe you're trying to win their approval or you're reciprocating the, the bitterness back to them and they don't even know that they, they may, may or may not be aware that they judged you. You say, preacher, I haven't committed adultery like the woman in the story, but I tell you what, preacher, I... I sure could use some emotional healing today. From the wounds of others, in my family, on the job, a past relationship, in the church, in the ministry. God, God, forgive us. Forgive us. For our religion, for our legalism, for our ridicule, for our judgments. The 
Holy Spirit wants us to come to him. He would say to you, I am the God that heals. I have sent forth my word to bring healing to your shattered heart. You can live, leave out of here this morning and continue to live wounded with the emotional baggage of last week, last month, last year. But if you come, I promise I'll be the arms of Jesus for you. begin to pray all over this house there's a there's a reverence flesh may want to interrupt the flesh may want to interrupt but I'm telling you there is a reverence there is an awesome presence of the Holy Spirit my God my God Come unto me, you that are laboring with that heavy load. I am the Lord. I have not abandoned you. I have not forsaken you. I am here to heal you. Saith the Lord Almighty. I don't know who you are, but you need to move. Come home. Come home. It's time. It's time to once and for all. It's time to take it to the Lord and leave it there. If you'll trust and never doubt, He will surely bring you out. Bring your burdens to the Lord. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. My God, my God. Come on. Come on. I need some arms of Jesus up here quickly. People of compassion, people of compassion. People of great, great compassion. Great, great compassion. You that are up here around them, just begin to love on them. God gives you a word to share with it, share it with them. I want the rest of the church to join me around the front, if you would. 
I want us to pray that Pulaski Church of God will be a church of grace like we never have before and we all want to do our part. Just come. Come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> You're the God of Here I am, here I am, here I am. 